on that. Right. We're off. <laughs> Shoot, as they say. <laughs> well, um, should we start off by asking you, were you in the war, basically? Uh, yes. Uh, if you're talking about the, the Great War, which started in 1939, finished in 1945, I was only, well, I was born in March 1932. So, you're ten years of age, therefore, I'm trying to put myself in your in your place at ten years of age and where I was. So I'll, I'll tell you, I was born in Plymouth. Do you know where Plymouth is? I think so. It's <coughs> in South Devon and it was the uh, one of the biggest naval dockyards in England. Uh, and uh, it was very much involved in the 39-45 war against Germany. And so, ten years after 1932, I'm sure your maths will tell you immediately, brings us to 1942. And that's where I remember vividly what's going on. What you've got to remember then, in those days, uh, our only way of communication, our only communication was the radio. No television. Nobody had television in their homes unless they were very, very wealthy. You know. But the only communication we had was by the radio, or going to the cinema. And on, whenever there was a cinema show, they also had a news program called Pate News, which showed. So you, you, you had no television at all. Can you imagine life without television? <laughs> no. I mean, it, it, Terrible. It, 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 it. But, so, a lot of your entertainment and past, I mean, spent on television, we had to make our own, uh, we had to make our own amusement, and, but we had great fun. But 1942 was the middle of the war, and the whole of Europe, with the exception of three or four countries, was occupied already by Germany. Even the Channel Islands, which was part of England, even they were occupied, just a not many miles away from Southampton, you know, on the south coast. So, we were virtually isolated and surrounded by Europe, and they were all, uh, Germans were pretty, pretty rough. We were being bombed during that period. So you saw lots of bombs? Yes, uh, particularly in Plymouth, we had a very bad session there and uh, but you know what did we do during the you know during the bombing yeah our, our routine was we'd go to school during the day 
and the, the raids used to start in the evening, get an air raid warning siren, and generally you would go to a shelter. Which was, uh, well, you had an Anderson shelter, lots of, of, of houses had Anderson shelters in their, in their gardens, but there were people who were lucky enough to be near parks where they built underground uh, shelters where quite a lot of people could, and they were fairly proof. I can tell you one interesting story. Uh, my brother was, I think, my younger brother was about uh, four or five years of age. No, three. And uh, my mother used to take him in his arms and I used when I was ten years old and I used to go down to the shelter maybe seven o'clock in the evening when the air raid started or a bit earlier and it was sort of like this underground shelter had two rows of benches and there was a space in between you might be in there for two or three hours until the all clear had gone which would meant that the bombs and you could hear the bombs coming down from the aeroplanes and 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 when you heard the first sound of the bombs coming down everybody used to duck forward <laughs> and we used to have uh, wardens air raid wardens people uh, even soldiers on leave and everything and some of them had tin helmets on yeah, even to, uh, protect uh, to, to protect them so that every time, I always remember every time we used to duck down, there wasn't that much space, to so duck down, and I can remember vividly my mother banging her head against the soldier opposite who, who had his tin hair on his arm. You know, this is something that lives in your, in your mind, and it used to happen regularly. Yeah. Uh, finally, we had a very big raid one night, and uh, our, our, I lived in a house that was about a hundred yards away from the, uh, from, the, from the shelter. And when we got back to, after the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the house, there had been, in the house next door, a very big bomb. They called it a landmine, had landed in it. And, a lot of destruction but it was sort of landed partly at the side of the house and partly in the garden and we had a big garden big lawn at the back there and the blast had lifted the whole piece of ground I mean it was bigger than this room it had literally been turned upside down so the so you saw the roots uh, coming up <laughs> but it was so bad our, dam our, our, our house was so badly damaged that we decided my, my parents decided to go to a seaside town about 30 miles away called Torquay that's in South Devon have, you, have we taken you down there? I don't in the think past, so. no, I don't think you have been down to Torquay. Oh no, we have, we have. No, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. It's uh, where my parents yeah. are buried, and we and I lived then in in Torquay uh, until I was sixteen, 
17 years of age. Uh, coming back to the to, to the bomb, yeah. what did we do at that time, the kids? Yeah. Well, I must tell you, the next morning, for example, if if we didn't go, if, or, or during our playtime, during our free time, we would go round collecting sh what they call shrapnel. These are pieces of the bombs. And we would, and fins from the incendiary bombs. And this was really, ten, uh, this was money to us. I mean, this was really, uh, lots of kids in that time used to collect post stamps. Philately was one of the hobbies of we had uh, and you know this was really good you know one fin was worth a, perhaps an old penny black you know one of the cheaper penny blacks one of the original stamps and and this sort of thing and if in some times you were very lucky you picked up lots of these and you, you stored them at home and you used them that was part of your bank <laughs> so so that was one of the things but but the bombing was devastating. I mean, the, the, the whole town was destroyed, the centre. But somehow or other, we, we just carried on with lives. Lots of fathers were away in the war, so there was lots of mummies on their own. Uh, and, uh, we're learning about that moment, the, um, the changing role of women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. The land so women were becoming um, land, land army girls. We, became, we dressed up yesterday as land army girls. Right, wearing the lipstick and the scarf. Right, and, and, and they did, I, I mean, they kept the factories going. And, and, and they worked, and they did all the jobs that, that men, men did. Even uh, uh, Princess... Elizabeth in those days, she was uh, in, in, in the, not in the land army, she, she was in the ATS. I she drove, didn't she? She drove her, and she was, they tell me she was quite a good mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you told me you were a cook, weren't you? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, what happens was I went to Torquay, and Torquay is a hotel town, and big tourist town. So inevitably, well, I went to, to a prep school, talking grammar school, uh, at the preparatory, and then got a scholarship, which gave me entrance to the grammar school. Uh, but I was always interested in cooking. My mother was, was a good cook, and I always used to great fun. And I went, in fact, I went, when I was 16, after I'd taken my school cert, I went immediately into an, an apprenticeship to train as a hotel manager, which meant the first two years at a very, very strict Swiss manager, quite a famous man, uh, at a, one of the top hotels in Torquay, Imperial Hotel still well known today uh, and 
I worked there as an inventor, but at the same time I went to the South Devon Technical College, which was one of the original hotel and catering training colleges. So I did a, a diploma there and then uh, went off on an exchange to France. Now, coming back to that was after the war had ended by then. The war ended at 1945. You must remember that we couldn't travel anywhere but in England. It was, there, we were encircled. Uh, there, was, there was the thought of going abroad and having a holiday was unthinkable. We just didn't. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the first opportunity we had was as a school group. It would have been 1946. Yes, 1946. All the time, by the way, during the war, we were we had food rationing. Yeah. We had rationing books, uh, which our parents obviously kept, uh, and we also. But there was one particular book that we had, there was sweet rationing, and of course the kids were able to keep their own sweets, uh, uh, the sweet ration, and that was another form of legal tender <laughs> instead of, uh, of my Did you ever get, bartering. did you ever, ever get really, really told off for doing anything naughty about, with rationing? No. Really, I think that uh, we had what we call black market, but it was the adults who who, who were engaged in, in, that, in that sort of thing. You know, there was no ice cream, by the way. Yeah. No, I mean, ice cream. There was no fruit, like lemons. Lemons, for example, they used to, the occasional lemon that would appear would be suddenly go on auction for the Red Cross and, and, and fetch money because they were so rare. Uh, eggs were rationed. I think we were allowed one or two eggs every every every, uh, every week, and meat was very very short. All these things, but you know, people went into the country and they grew their own food and, and, and all these things. And the other, coming back to entertainment during that period, I told you, the only th entertainment you had was the cinema, the, the cinema mm -hmm. and the radio. So all your news came from that. Uh, and that's the only one. I was very, very interested in the war and I used to keep a map of Europe. The whole of Europe was occupied. There was only about four countries that were neutral. Southern Ireland, Switzerland, Spain, and Sweden. They were the only countries. All the other countries were now occupied by, by Germany or fighting as far east as Russia. Big war there. And they, you had fronts where the, we'd already been thrown completely out of Europe 
and uh, and the next big occasion then was the uh, the preparation for invading Europe to try and capture back from the Germans and this is very very interesting the only way we could do it was in conjunction with the Americans who were a big strong country they were dragged into the war two or three years I think 41, 41, it was 41 Pearl Harbor. That was in the and, uh, December or something. Yes, that's right. So, from that moment on, they were, preparations were made to start an invasion map and get back uh, Europe. We had, you mentioned, certain uh, preliminary raids on Europe. They were sort of a rehearsal for the big one, for D-Day, as it was called, June the 3rd, or whatever it was, June the 6th, no, that's right. I can remember vividly the announcement, D-Day, D-Day plus one, D-Day, that's But leading up to D-Day, for many, many months, and particularly in South Devon, Torquay, Salcombe, all along the bay and all the way down to Dorset and, and was a build-up of American forces and forces from the Empire. Australian, Canadian, Indian, Gurkhas, all, all the, the, the British Empire was big empire in those days. They all sent soldiers over and but the Americans were the big and of course America had got no rationing and food was there, there was no problems but tens of thousands I'm not even sure it was hundreds of thousands of troops they used to say that southwest England was sinking down into the sea a few feet with the amount of equipment and, and stuff. And these troops all had to be billeted. In, they had to live somewhere. And there was no barracks available. That there were aerodromes and things were all being used by our own forces. And they had to be billeted. So in Torquay particularly and all the South Devon resorts, wherever there were hotels, they were all commandeered, and even houses that had spare, spare oc uh, people occupying, uh, uh, rooms free, they used to be given to the boys from America, and they used to be living with us. All, and all the time they were training and preparing for the... Now these Americans came with food. They had what they called the PX, the their their the canteen areas and food supply areas, and they had food that we had never even seen: steaks, cans of pineapple and fruit and everything. And of course, all the guys who lived with us brought home any 
spare stuff and gave it to their their hosts in, in, in their houses. So this was wonderful. And the girls, the one thing in those days, the, the girls, they didn't, they, for stockings, for example. Yeah, they do like the Well, now, they only had silk stockings, and I think the Americans had just started nylon stockings. Now, this to a... I remember my mother and my sister, because they couldn't get any stockings at all, they used to paint their... like a brown color and then they at the back they would put a, a, a seam at the back and, and, and suddenly and suddenly these yanks as we call them, the yanks the yanks are coming you know you remember the, the old song <laughs> they came and they would bring from these nylons well you know for, 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 the, for the young girls to get uh, and the young ladies to get uh, this was gold <laughs> you, can you imagine <laughs> they were very very popular so this was uh, so, so this was the, the, the build up so I don't want to dwell on all, all, all of this uh, the other thing you must remember is that computers never existed. So, uh, and we also had to work in school with not decimal system as you had, a hundred pennies to the pound. We had pounds, shillings and pence. Twelve pennies was a shilling, twenty shillings was a pound. And all our mathematics had to be done in three columns when we were adding up and and no ready reckoners allowed on the you had to do everything in your head. So mental arithmetic was a very, very important subject. It was it was it was part of it. But I won't go on and on about that. So where are we? We're we're now uh, you asked me about being. I was in the hotel business, uh, and I. Everybody in those days at uh, 18 was called up for national service. That went on right after the war, right up until I think 1950. Into the 50s, so early 50s. early 50s. Uh, I was, because I was doing a, a technical course, you went, instead of going at, uh, at 18, I got a deferment for two years. And during that two years, in fact, I was working as an apprentice, as a, a stage, I did a stage in Paris, which is, uh, uh, I went to, uh, the school and, and and a big hotel combined studied French and, and learnt more about hotel management and worked actually in French restaurants and on the reception there. Uh, and uh, where was I? Uh, 
Oh yes, and then I returned to to England and I had to go in the army. And shortly, and of course the regiment that they put me in to, uh, after doing my initial uh, military training, six weeks indoctrination thing, where they sort you out what you're going to do, I was sorted out for the Army Catering Corps, which was a very, very important, you know, they say an army marches on its tummy, and we were, the, and we were attached to all the other regiments, the Army Catering Corps, and organised the, the catering in those, in those regiments. And to cut a long story short, I uh, was uh, drafted in to the Army Catering Corps. I was fortunate enough because of my experience and did very, very well in the Army School of Catering. I, I, I got a commission. And uh, I was then... There was a war going on in, there was lots of little wars mm. going on, uh, but the big one was in Korea. Yeah. And uh, for my sins, they decided that they needed a, uh, 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 the army were a little bit slow in getting involved in Korea, but, but Eventually, they were well, after a very short time. They 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 went over there, but uh, via Hong Kong and and Singapore, I was sent to uh, to Korea as a as a what they called a command catering advisor. Uh, Can we um, going back to school? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, did you have any um, times when you got told off really badly and how did they punish you with the cane or something? Yes, yes. <laughs> and what <laughs> I have vivid memories of that. The cane was allowed only in our school. The headmaster would give you the cane. Uh, but most of the masters, uh, not the mistresses, as it was a boys' school, they were all mostly masters, but lastly, obviously, again, war times. Uh, we had another school in, instantly evacuated from London, the Stogs, St. Olive's Grammar School. We called them the Stogs. <laughs> uh, quite a well-known school in, in London. They were evacuated over uh, to us, uh, and but uh, a lot of the masters, if you misbehaved yourself, they'd say, "Take your glasses on and give me a slap across the face." I mean, there was no, the, oh, it was. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, I have a memory. I have a memory of seeing this sort of incident, but it was commonplace. It was commonplace. You, you know, there was no messing about. You were naughty, really naughty, or rude, or something. They didn't hesitate to wrap you or to, or use a, a, a ruler to, on on their hand. 
But the real Cain was the, was the headmaster, which was something more serious.